Well, we're right in that phase of the year that is known as the end of the school season. Really, I was expecting some applause from some students. Okay, okay. Most college students have finished their semester, and those were the ones who applauded the the loudest. High school and elementary students are close behind. Sometimes during school and as you're ending that, that semester or that school year, you realize with final exams coming up and with, with your final grades and projects of a class that in order to pass the class or to remain at the same level or to attain a higher grade in that class, you need to do well on that final exam. And different students have different ways of responding to that. Different students have different ways of leaning on different things in order to do well at what they need to do well on. Some students may depend upon an all-night study session. Some may depend on, on friends to quiz them over information that they have received throughout the semester. Others may be dependent upon caffeine to keep them awake as they study. Some even, and I know this is probably not true of anybody from Harvest Bible Church, but some uh, lean on a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty, and they misapply that verse that says, uh, God will work all things together for good, and so they just keep scrolling through their phone instead of studying. That wasn't true of you, I'm sure. Whatever our life situation is, we find ourselves leaning on other people or on other things in order to help us. What we think about in today's text is the ultimate dependence that we should have on our Lord. This morning, our time in God's Word will be spent in the book of Joshua. So if you have not located Joshua yet in your copy, would you please do so? Joshua chapter 9. It can be found on page 173 of the Pew copy of the Scriptures. Joshua is the first historical book of the Christian Old Testament. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. The Old Testament records happenings leading up to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. We're walking through this historical book in our Sunday morning gatherings, and we are giving specific attention to the ways in which God keeps His promises to us. In His grace, only in His grace, God selected a special people, the children of Israel, descendants from Abraham. And God had promised this special nation that they would inherit a specific land. It became known as the Promised Land. But first, the children of Israel had served as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God miraculously delivered them from that slavery, from that bondage to the Egyptians. God led them on 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 wanderings through the wilderness for 40 years. And now at last, He was delivering over to them the Promised Land. God raised up a military leader by the name of Joshua to take Moses' place to to head this nation, these children of Israel. Then, at last, God told Israel to remove the current inhabitants of the Promised Land, literally to war against that, to displace the inhabitants of the land. Israel defeated Jericho. But because of sin in the camp, it took two attempts in defeating the next opponent in the city of Ai. And that brings us up to chapter 9 of Joshua. It's been an interesting journey so far for the children of Israel. Interesting because at some some points they practice complete devotion upon God's clear leading for them. 
God has given them some very specific instruction on how they are to, to go about displacing these people, these inhabitants of the promised land. He's told them to walk around a city. He's told them how many times to walk around the city each day, how many days to walk around the city, not to touch of the accursed thing, and the, and, the, and the walls will come down. God has given them very specific instruction. And to their credit, Israel, at, the, at these points, have shown their devotion, their dependence on God's instruction to them. God has demands that of his children, that they follow his leading. But there have been other times that the nation of Israel waffles in their devotion to God. And as unfathomable as it sounds, Israel finds themselves trusting in their own wisdom, in their own ability, in their own strength, instead of leaning on the God who delivered them from slavery who delivered them from the hopelessness of their wilderness wanderings. Christian, brothers and sisters in Christ, we too have been visited by the grace of God. We too have been delivered from our slavery to sin and from the hopelessness of our own wanderings. Why in the world would we lean on our own wisdom and ability and strength instead of leaning on the one who has delivered us. That's the warning. That's the exhortation of Joshua chapter 9. Now, if you've gathered with us this morning and you're not a Christian, you're an unbeliever as of this point, Joshua 9 teaches you that your only hope, that your only hope of rescue is found outside of you. It's found in Jehovah God. Only Jehovah God is able to save you from certain destruction. Friends, leaning on your own understanding brings heartache. Leaning on your promise-keeping God brings hope. Now, there are many aspects of, of God that make Him reliable or make Him worthy of us to lean on. But I want us to begin this morning uh, by thinking about leaning on your promise-keeping God's wisdom. Chapter 8 ends with sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, literally, fellowship offerings. Offerings, sacrifices that were intended to concentrate on the Israelites' a fellowship, communion with the Lord. And then chapter 9 opens up with failure to acknowledge God. Just like that, defeat at Ai, victory at Ai, then ignoring God. It's a reminder for all of us to take heed lest we fall. Would you please follow along in God's Word as I read Joshua chapter 9, verses, the first 15 verses, thinking about leaning on God's, uh, our promise-keeping God's wisdom. It came to pass when all the kings were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, heard thereof. And they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So they make a treaty that these lands, these peoples will make a treaty together to fight against Israel. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old 
and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouted upon their feet. So what that means is old shoes or clouted upon their feet, patched sandals, old sandals, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp of Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make a league or a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure, or we would say, Perhaps ye dwell among us. Perhaps you're close by. How shall we make a league, a covenant with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you? And from whence come you? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come. Because of the, here it is, because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard of the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon of Heshbon, and to Og of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake unto us, saying, Take victuals, or that means provisions, take provisions with you for your journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a covenant with us. This is our bread. We took hots for our provision out of our houses on the day that we came forth to, you, to go unto you. But now behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. And behold, they, are, they be rent. And these are garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took their, their provisions, their victuals, and asked not counsel. And asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. The Gibeonites had heard something about what had happened at Jericho and at Ai, the defeat of the enemy. News was spreading, not via Twitter or Facebook, but by word of mouth. Other inhabitants of the land were hearing about the victory and the defeat of Israel and about what God was doing. And maybe because Joshua had been sly himself in leading the ambush against Ai, the Gibeonites decide to try their own hand at trickery. That's what the, what our, the, the King James translation is talking about when it says wilily. It's trickery. It's, it's cunning. It's a ruse. The Gibeonites come to Israel in order to request a treaty with them. Now Israel was actually permitted. They were allowed by God to make treaties with cities that were far away from them. With, with people of that land that were far, that were distant away from them. Uh, that's why they ask how far they had come from. However, they were, Israel was explicitly instructed not to make peace with the cities of the people whom the Israelites were displacing. These Gibeonites made their case believable. They went and found their kid's lunchbox that had been stored in the, in the garage over, this, over the, uh, the, the weekend. And they found the moldy foods. And they brought them to, to Joshua and to Israel. And they even invoked the name of God in verses 9 through 11. And they said, the, uh, the, your God, the one that we've heard about him. Israel raised the question of a ruse, but they were still deceived nonetheless. How deeply 
Israel needed the wisdom of God in this situation. And then we come to verse 14, and it tells us that they did not bother to ask the Lord's counsel. Israel enters into a league, into a treaty, into a covenant. It was a binding agreement. As we think about leaning on our promise, keeping God's wisdom, consider some of the realities of these first 15 verses. Deception is a reality. For us in 2019, also, deception is a reality. We know that Paul warns the elders in Acts chapter 20 to be careful because, of, because wolves would attempt to, to ravage the flock of God. And that warning states that even some among the flock would attempt to deceive the congregation. In other words, it would be an inside job. They're not going to proclaim it. They're not going to say, hey, we're going to try to deceive the congregation. We're going to try to, to lead them astray. Rather, they would be deceptive about it. This warning from Paul, they are not seen as a threat. These wolves are not seen as a threat to the church because they are from within. But then they, they, then they distort the gospel. Deception in 2019. A lot of people in Lancaster County are, are bilingual. A lot of American Christians are also bilingual. They speak English and they speak Christianese. They insert God talk frequently to distort the gospel. Oh, it was such a blessing. It's all about God. God has been kind to give me all of this. And they may insert God talk. They may insert Christianese-type language. They may insert biblical language. But we must be careful to understand what is exactly being said. Some may be deceived themselves because they don't have a strong enough grasp on the Scriptures. And in turn, they deceive others. Josh Scherer and Tom Lutman just led us through a wonderful uh, Wednesday evening study in our Wednesday evening gatherings on uh, the Christian's conscience. We learned, as we studied through that over three and a half months, I think, we learned that some people can take a personal preference in their Christian walk. They can take a personal preference, couch it in Christian terminology, and actually end up with ungodly, unbiblical judgmentalism or even heresy. We also learned that some can take a personal liberty, couch it with Christian terminology, and also end up in heresy or in ungodly arrogance. You see, we have to be careful about deceiving ourselves or deceiving one another. Deception is a reality. We must remember that, that dece deception has a potential to derail us in seeking out God's wisdom. We can be deceived ourselves. We can be deceived or distracted and in the end lean on our own understanding. Deception is, real is reality. But so is divine wisdom. Divine wisdom is also a reality. Uh, the, the Israelites had options to seek God's leading. The Urim and Thummim from Exodus chapter 28 sheds much light on a means that God used as his communication. Now, we don't know exactly with certainty how it worked, but we do know that it was a means that God gave the priest to discern his leading for the children of Israel as they made decisions. The priest would use them one way or the other, and under God's sovereignty, he would provide direction. So Israel had the opportunity here in Joshua chapter 9 
to know God's leading, to seek God's leading. The option was theirs. It was a reality that divine wisdom was available to them. We have the all-wise God leading us. Job recognized this in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Paul in Romans chapter 11, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Divine wisdom is a reality for us as well. James wrote in his epistle, Whoever lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it generously, liberally, to all without reproach. God's wisdom is a reality. But another reality that we think of as we lean on God's wisdom is, is overconfidence. Our overconfidence is also a reality. Israel did not feel that they needed to seek the Lord's guidance. Instead, they determined from the moldy food and the worn-out sandals that the Gibeonites were not a danger to them. It wasn't a matter of, of Israel being careful. They investigated the Gibeonites' story. Verse number 7 tells us, Rather, this was a matter of them being overconfident. It was a matter of leaning on their own understanding. They didn't feel that they needed to seek the counsel of God's mouth. Very simply, Israel didn't have God's counsel because they didn't ask for God's counsel. Friend, our default is to lean on our own understanding. Our default mode is to be overconfidence in ourselves. And this is the crux of Joshua chapter 9. God's children must lean on God's counsel. Leaving that action out resulted in difficulties for Israel. Ignoring God comes with a price. Failing to seek the Lord in all matters, in all consequence, it comes with consequences, sometimes that last a lifetime. It was the evil counsel of Satan that Adam and Eve followed, and consequences have been felt ever since. Likewise, our failure to seek the Lord may result in hardships that last for days, months, weeks, years. We need God's counsel in all things. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. The attitude of, I just need to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I got this. I can handle this trial that's coming into my life. I can handle this, whatever, whatever I'm facing right now. I got this. It's unbiblical. It's not what God is calling you to. You don't have it under control. It doesn't matter what your line of work is, what your family circumstances are, what your bank account looks like, how many times a week you work out. You don't have it under control. You, in fact, remain in desperate need of divine wisdom. You will fall flat on your face apart from it. You could wake up tomorrow morning and decide, okay, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I, 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 can, I can do this day on myself. I can, I can do this. I got this. And you could stare at a wall without having any interaction with anybody else. You could just sit in your rocking chair in a room by yourself and still fall flat on your face because you still have sin inside. You still have remaining sin. You're still in need of God's guidance, God's wisdom. You would still lean on your own understanding. 
Our church history isn't enough. Just because we have had 17 years under our belt doesn't mean that we have another 17 years ahead of us. We can't be overconfident in what we are trying to do. Our Lancaster County conservative, traditional, and family-oriented focus isn't going to cut it. We can be deceived and buying to, to someone else's older is always better philosophy. This passage calls us to be devoted to seeking out the counsel of the Lord instead of being overconfident in ourselves. Seek His wisdom on where to go to college. Seek His wisdom on your dating relationships. Seek His wisdom on your parenting. Seek His wisdom on purchasing a vehicle, on career moves. We have, as a congregation, we have set aside specific times, weeks at a time for a season of prayer and fasting where we spend extra time in prayer, extra time asking God to give us guidance on a particular decision, uh, where we were going to worship and, and moving into this facility, on bringing on new staff members. We need not be confident in ourselves. We must lean on the wisdom of God. This passage is impressing on us the absolute necessity of leaning on our promise, keeping God's wisdom. Lean on the one whose wisdom is on display throughout creation. Lean on the one whose wisdom is, is promised. If any of you lack wisdom, he will give it. Lean on the, the one whose wisdom has no end. From east to west, north to south, from eternity past to eternity future, from, from all, he knows all. Lean on the one whose wisdom has no limits. Don't lean on your own understanding. Never trust your own judgment alone. Somebody put it this way. If you're called, if you're called on to act and you have no time to pray, don't act. If you're called on to move in a certain direction and cannot wait until you have peace with God about it, don't move. Be strong enough and brave enough to dare to stand and wait on God. For none of them that wait on Him shall ever be ashamed. Instead, in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. and He will direct your paths. Leaning on your own understanding brings heartache. Leaning on your promise, keeping God, brings hope. Christian, you should lean on the wisdom of your promise-keeping God. But secondly, the passage moves us forward and tells us about leaning on your promise-keeping God's honor. God keeps his word. He's an honorable God. When I was going through college, Bible school, I, was, I had a girlfriend I wanted to buy a ring for so she wouldn't be my girlfriend, but she'd be my fiancé. And so I was working a lot of extra hours, and I was working for this guy. I, I'd Go, go off into town, and we, he had his landscaping business, and he would work with different, uh, how, uh, different clients ar around town, and he would hire us college students to do all the grunt work for him. And I recognized, as he was dealing with his clients, that he was not a man of, of honor. He wasn't keeping his word. So he promised to put in this really nice grass seed in his, in his front yard for somebody, and he would go to Lowe's, and he'd buy a really small bag of the really nice grass seed and the really big giant bag of the junk, and he would mix it all together, and he would uh, try to, to sell it off to his client that way. He wasn't a man, a man of his word. He wasn't a man of honor. Re follow along in verses 16, 16 through 21 as we see that God is nothing like that, that God is a, is a God of honor. It came to pass at the end of three days that after they had made a league with them that they heard, that they heard and they were their, that they were their neighbors and they, they dwelt among them. They were close by, in other words, these Gibeonites. And the children of Israel journeyed and came into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were, were Gibeon and Shepharai and Baroth and Kilchath, Jerem, 
And the children of Israel smote smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers or cutters of wood and drawers of water unto the congregation as the princes had promised them. Surely there are a few details left out, but the text makes it clear that Joshua is committed to not eradicating the Gibeonites. He entered into a covenant that included their lives being spared. And to break that covenant would bring dishonor to Jehovah God's name. It reminded me of of when Jacob deceived his father Isaac, and Isaac was bound by the oath for his his blessing to go forward. Likewise, uh, Israel was was bound by the covenants made with, the children of Israel were bound with the covenant made with with the Gibeonites, and they honored the covenants. Even though Israel had been deceived, they kept their covenant with the Gibeonites. God shows, in fact, how serious he is about keeping this covenant that Israel had made with the Gibeonites, because in the very next chapter, in chapter number 10, the the sun stands still in order to protect the Gibeonites. We could fast forward in Hebrew history all the way to when David was king of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 21. There was a famine in the land that had lasted for about three years. David uh, does does not know what's going on. He's asking of the Lord. He inquires of the Lord, why is this famine continuing on for three years? And in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, uh, he says, there's a famine in the land of three years. David inquired of the Lord, and here's the Lord's answer, why this famine was lasting. It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So hundreds of years later, God is still honoring the, the covenants that the children of Israel had made with the Gibeonites. God takes his covenants seriously. God is honorable about his covenants. God is honorable about the promises that he has made to you and to me. God takes his covenants seriously. And so should you. Young people, one of the ugliest and most harmful lies that our culture teaches is that the covenant of marriage has an escape hatch called divorce. Not so, not true, not biblical. If you enter into a marriage covenant, God expects you to keep that covenant. Marriage can be hard. Marriage will be hard. Marriage can be sad. Loss of loved ones. Loss of trust. Vulnerability. Facing the consequences of someone else's sin. Marriage will not always be what you expected or what you had hoped for. Your spouse will find new ways to remind you of their own fallen nature. As glorious as marriage can be, I know people who are married now and wish they were not. So this reminder that a covenant of marriage is not to be taken lightly. It's a covenant that must be honored by God's children, even as God honors His covenants. Husbands and wives of Harvest Bible Church, you are already in a covenant relationship. It must not be broken. 
You may have been in love when you married, but now you are no longer in love. That has nothing to do with honoring the covenant of marriage. Husband and wife, it doesn't matter if your spouse has given you the silent treatment, has spoken unkind words, has developed additional irritating habits, has changed their physical desires or appearance, has developed mental problems. You are in a covenant with them that you must honor. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Joshua 9 is a display of God's expectations for his children to honor their covenants. God keeps his covenant to you. You can lean. You can depend on the covenant that God has made. He will not break his covenant with you. If God honors his covenant with you, you must honor your covenants to one another. Lean on your promise, keeping God's honor. Leaning on your own understanding brings heartache. Leaning on your promise, keeping God, brings hope. So lean on his wisdom. Lean on his honor. Thirdly, leaning on your promise, keeping God's mercy. And as Paul Harvey would say, here is the rest of the story, verses 22 through 27. Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, or deceived us, saying, We are very far from you, when you actually dwell among us. Now therefore, you are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen, and cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the house of, of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were sore afraid for, of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, behold, we are in thine hand. As it seemeth good and right unto thee, do it unto us. And so did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers, or cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the congregation, and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. Although the covenant would be honored, Joshua rebukes the Gibeonites for their deceitful ways. It is true that the Gibeonites were made to be servants to the Jews. However, some of their service was at the altar of the Lord. In other words, they were close to the spiritual epicenter of the Israelites on a regular basis. Theologian Francis Schaeffer said he would draw comparisons between the Gibeonites and Rahab, the prostitutes that we had already studied earlier in the book of Joshua. They both had heard about the greatness and the ability of God. They both had fear of, of God. They both were convinced that God was able to do something. Rahab walked away from the rest of Jericho, and the Gibeonites walked away from the rest of this coalition that was mentioned in the first couple of verses. Rahab escaped the judgment of God, and she was brought into his family. The Gibeonites escaped the judgment of God, and they were brought into his family. And anyone in this room who repents of sin and believe in Je believes in Jehovah God's salvation through Jesus Christ will also escape the judgment of God and be brought into his family. I was thinking about the Israelites and the Gibeonites, and I was wondering how often we look at other people in our community and welcome them. 
and how we do in our evangelism at sharing the gospel with people who may look differently than us, who may speak different languages than us. I wonder what our mindset is of, other, of, of people coming into our communities from afar, from foreign countries. We see that God in his wonderful grace brought the Gibeonites into his family and, and were made a part of the nation of Israel. Many, many years later, during the days of Zerubbabel, after Israel's exile, the Gibeonites returned under the Babylonians. And Nehemiah actually mentions the Gibeonites as part of the crew that was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The Gibeonites had become part of the family of God in their covenant with Joshua. And hundreds of years later, they were still part of God's family. Rahab escaped God's judgments. The Gibeonites escaped God's judgments. And we are just like the Gibeonites. We attempt to deceive God. We are under his just and deserved judgments. We are enemies to God. We have no right to the promised land. We have no claim on eternal life. And like the Gibeonites, somehow, in his grace, we heard about what God was doing. Maybe it was through Uncle Charlie on the radio, or maybe it was from a coworker going through a tragedy and how they were a believer and how they were depending, they were leaning on God. Or maybe it was as a, as, you know, in a backyard at someone's Bible club and you saw a flannel graph story and you heard about what God had done for, for Daniel in a, in, a, in a den of lions. Or somehow, some way, we have heard about God. And it was just enough. It was just enough to draw us in so we could hear the full gospel. And now God won't pour his judgment out on us. He withholds that judgment from us, and he places it on his son instead. That is mercy. That is what we are called to lean on. Yes, he is all-wise, and yes, he is honorable, and yes, he has shown mercy. He hasn't poured out on us the judgment, and he won't pour, us, pour out on us the, the wrath of, of, of his judgment that we deserve. Because God has withheld judgments, you are called to pursue holy living because you're thankful for what he has done for you. Lean on the mercy of God. That doesn't mean that you take liberty to sin because God has shown mercy to you. Rather, it means that because God has shown mercy to you, because you don't have to face the anger of God for your sin, that you live a life of thanksgiving, that you pursue righteousness in your life on this earth. Leaning on your own understanding brings heartache, Leaning on your promise-keeping God brings hope. Joshua 9 calls you to lean on the only one that can truly deliver you for all of eternity. The hymn writer put it this way, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and stay. Christian, lean on the Lord for wisdom in your marriage. Lean on the Lord in regards to your finances. Lean on the Lord for guidance in your health. Lean on the Lord during times of uncertainty. Lean on the Lord when Satan tempts you to despair. Lean on the Lord as you make your decisions. Lean on the Lord to remind you that his mercy has been poured out all over you, and it is fresh for you every single day. Lean, lean, lean. Lean not on your own understanding, 
But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.